Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Morning. It's Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer. Um, this is my weekly economic and market commentary. As a reminder, you can hear me or read me uh, intro week on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, uh, Herb Morgan. Uh, quick disclosures the presentation is prepared by us for use with you, whether you are a financial advisor or an individual investor. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only. No tax advice and such investors should be advised, should be, they are advised to consult with their own tax advisor regarding the tax consequences of their investment activities. Well, as I've been saying since the beginning of the year, we've had uh, surprisingly very good equity market returns this year. S&P 500 up 6.5%, small cap stocks are now up double digit. And last week, when we had a really modest, almost a zero line decline in the S&P, we had big gains in mid and small cap stocks. Interest rates have begun to rise again in response to worse than expected inflation reports from both the CPI and the PPI, and that has sent the bond market lower with the ag down about a half a percent last week and the long dated Barclays 20 plus treasury index down about a full 1%. Economic data continues to be disinflationary, which supports the thesis that the Federal Reserve is attacking successfully their mandate of providing price stability to the economy. But the question becomes, and this is what we hope to address today, is whether or not the activities related to fulfilling their statutory obligation to maintain price stability, whether or not those activities will tip the economy into recession. Sort of the inverse of their activities related to the 2020 recession that tipped the economy into a significant inflationary period. So let's start with small business optimism. It rose a little bit in January from 89.8 to 90.3. Little below expectations, but the, the trend you can see here, of course, is clearly, uh, you know, clearly a, uh, a downward trend here. Going down, we need to see definitive increases back above 95 to suggest that businesses are getting more optimistic about the future of the economy. We also got worse than expected reports last week for January CPI and January PPI. You can see CPI has been coming down significantly, as has the core, but you can see just a little flare off to the right here, then reverse and go higher, just that rate of change to the downside decelerated. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on the Fed having success just yet, but that's something that markets reacted to last week, and I think there's a follow through reaction to that here this morning with the Dow down about 450 points as I'm recording this. The CPI in January 
was in line up five tenths of a percent. However, that was the highest we were in three months. December, originally we showed CPI was down a tenth of a percent. That was revised to up a tenth of a percent. And year over year, 6.4, the estimates were 6.2. So this was a bit of a failure from a, um, uh, a reporting perspective. PPI, producer price index rose seven, worse than the four tenths expected, is up 6.6% year over year. Core, worse than expected, that was up 0.5. So both of those disappointing, sending up the the uh, five-year break-evens, five-year inflation break-evens to 2.6%, and they had been you know, in the 2.2%, getting close to the Fed's goal. So when those future break-even rates are climbing, the Fed is going to be concerned, and as such, the rhetoric, the Fed-speak rhetoric we heard and are hearing is getting increasingly hawkish, suggesting not only further rate hikes, but uh, keeping rates higher for an extended period of time to definitively quash uh, inflation. Moving on to manufacturing, the New York State or Empire State Manufacturing Survey uh, was expected to be minus 18, it was minus 5.8. That is contraction, not as bad as thought. New orders in contraction, not as bad as thought. And shipments eked out a small gain, so that was a nice surprise but employment fell into contraction. That's never a good thing on an absolute basis, but from the Federal Reserve perspective, they need to um, cool the labor market if they're going to cool inflation. Retail sales uh, gained 3% in January. Employment full, retail sales are likely to continue to be strong. That was more than expected. Even backing out autos and gas, we have 26 the estimate there was 0.9, also much better than expected. So as long as the, you know, the Fed is sitting there trying to fight inflation, they can bring down manufacturing and there's some commodity prices that have clearly rolled over. There's a slowdown in economic activity. But if the consumer remains strong because jobs market is strong, they're concerned that that inflationary pressure will not work its way out of the economy and as such, they will continue to do things like raise short-term interest rates and uh, run off um, their balance sheet. Industrial production was unchanged. This is for the country. This is not a regional indicator. Um, and capacity utilization fell to 78.3. So you've got here, you know, really not much change in industrial production at all. In sense, actually, the trend is down over the last 12 months. You can see that. But capacity utilization, I've long said, when you broach this 80% this level here, when you broach that, that is coincident with significant uh, inflationary pressure. As you come off of that 80, get down to where we are, 78.3, that tends to be more neutral. Much, much below that 78, you're in a disinflationary, even, even deflationary environment if you go below that, say, 75-ish level uh, over here. So that's a positive for the Federal Reserve's objectives, uh, but they're still working with that incredibly tight uh, labor market. Business inventory is up three-tenths of a percent, second month in a row, right in line with expectation. We then got a pretty significant surprise from the housing market. Uh, it was supposed to go to 37 from 35. It jumped to 42. Now, that doesn't mean... Uh, home builders are 
positive or optimistic, the line of delineation here is at 50. 50 is the line of delineation between optimism and pessimism overall. So they are still pessimistic. They're still negative on the state of their industry, but uh, less so than they were in the prior month. Part of that is because interest rates have come down quite a bit, but since the survey has taken place, they have risen back up significantly, and the U.S. 10-year you know, is getting closer to that 4% um, uh, uh, level. Okay, moving along. Sorry, I've got a phone call coming in there. Uh, let's move on to uh, weekly claims for unemployment. I've said over and over, anything below 300,000 is a healthy, solid labor market that's in equilibrium, you know, in that 250, 270, 280 range. And when you have below 200,000, where we've been for a significant period of time, it's certainly good for employment and for labor, but um, that is also kind of considered a little bit inflationary. If you've got no uh, initial claims for unemployment, uh, then input price labor, input price being labor, uh, is continuing to go higher. Housing starts uh, and permits were out for the month of January. Starts fell 4.5%. That's consistent with the pessimistic uh, home building industry. Fifth straight month of declines for starts is the longest since coming out of the 2009 downturn. Building permits are up a tenth of a percent. They were supposed to be up to 1%. So uh, continued slowdown in the home building industry. I always say the home building industry is the tip of the spear for the economy because they're so, so dialed into changes in interest rates. So when the Fed is easing, uh, they're booming. And when the Fed is tightening, uh, they are contracting significantly as well. And housing owns a significant portion of this economy. Estimates are it's around 4% plus. So we had that negative report uh, on New York Fed. We got the Philly Fed as well. Philly Fed survey went from minus eight, nine to minus 24, far worse than expected. These are now numbers that are more consistent with recession. Now it's one month, it could be reversed. But if you go back here, you know, we went into recession in 2020 and, you know, that first reading, that one right there was not as bad. So the question is, does this get worse? Does the Fed allow it to get worse? Does the Fed keep rates too high for too long and ultimately create a recession? They don't want to create a recession, but they must whip inflation. So this is the job that is on their, their table. So I went back and looked at a little history. Actually, we, Tanner Fitzgerald and I, we all went back and looked at a little bit. A lot of the credit for this research here goes to Eric Johnston on our team. But uh, U.S. unemployment rates here, where we are today, we're at 3.4, 3.5% unemployment. That's incredibly low, 3.6, excuse me, 3.6% unemployment. Well, you don't go into a recession when you're at 3.6, but those levels are consistent with, more consistent with the end of an expansionary cycle, and then the recession begins, and then the unemployment rate skyrockets higher. Take a look at the last three recessions. Here's you know, the 2000, you can see, we were down sub 4%, recession came, and employment, unemployment got closer to six, recession ended, it then did get over 6%. Then you move to the 0, 0, 0708 
you know, recession. We were down in the low fours. Recession hit. Then the layoffs began. So the layoffs don't create the recession. The recession, you know, creates the layoffs. So you got up to about 10% during that period. Quickly came back down. We had a long, nice, beautiful period of expansion. Then we had the COVID shutdown. The largest policy mistake in economic history, in my view. Uh, we were in the sub fours again, you know, where we are now, three six, all the way up, you know, to the 13% range for a very, very brief period of time. Massive, unprecedented amounts of stimulus, which of course we know now caused significant inflation. We're all the way back down to 3.6. And then the question, should the Fed continue to hike or should the, the, the Fed recognize that policy implementation comes with lags and should they pause? Uh, this, this commentator believes a pause is in order but is not likely to happen. So what's happening here? We got through fourth quarter earnings season. They were better than feared. I don't want to say better than expected. I want to say better than feared. Forward 12 months S&P 500 earnings per share estimates are 5% lower than they were when the market hit the low on October 12th. It's about a five, uh, here, 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 here we go. So that's about 5% lower earnings estimates. Yet the market's significantly higher, about 15% higher. So as markets go up and earnings going down, or earnings estimates are going down, that means with every incremental rise in the value of the stock market, that adds risk to the portfolio. So the question is, and I got several emails over the weekend from several of you, if you're reading articles, that's great. Um, people calling, you know, for, they're using a lot of histrionic uh, statements in headlines. We know that's how headlines go. You have to make it sensational to get the people to read and click and therefore view your advertisements to generate your revenue. But the reality is earnings per share estimates are only down 5%. That's not end of days world. And when you, when you pan out, this chart here goes back to 21, but if I pan out and take this chart back to 2017, we know that clearly the long-term view is that earnings rise over time. Do they go down for recessions? Yes, there's the 2020. But what happens? They get back to where they were, they go to new highs, and here's where we are down about 5%. Okay, that's all right. But will there be a recession? This is the question everybody asks. And if there is a recession, what are you doing in our portfolios or should you be doing more? And I, I always say this, that nervous energy is a great destroyer of wealth. And I'm becoming and I'm moving into the camp that a recession is now becoming more and more likely, despite the fact that the stock market continues to or has risen since those October lows. I believe recession is more and more likely. So we went back, let's grab some data from prior rate hiking periods. All the way back to 72, I was in the first grade, 1972. Fed funds rate between Feb of 72 to May of 74 went up from five and a half to 13%. Recession started in December of 73, 20 months after the first rate hike. 76 to 80 hiking period, recession started 40 months after the first hike. 86 to 89, 46 months. 
The 94 to 95 period, we were able to engineer a soft landing. 04 to 06, it was 42 months. 16 to 19 hiking cycle was 39 months. And that recession really only happened because of the COVID shutdown. So we don't know if the rate hiking cycle would have caused recession at that time. But we only started hiking rates a year ago. So I would not have expected a recession to take place right now. The percentage change I added here in Fed funds rates, not super relevant because when you come off of 25 basis points, it makes it seem like it's massive. You couldn't raise 1,800% from you know, five and a half, right? And then the other thing I wanted to look at is what's happening with the Fed balance sheet, because that's another tool for fighting recession and fighting inflation. Data, no data back here in the 70s and 80s on the Fed's balance sheet. De minimis movement here. But during this period, 04 to 06, the Fed, the, you know, the money on the Fed balance sheet actually increased. In this period, they were not only prior to the rate hikes, they were cutting and running off the balance sheet. They were low, rather, and cutting off the balance sheet. 413 billion ran off. But I don't think we can underestimate, and I think currently we're so focused on rates, we're not talking enough about the fact that the Fed has deprinted. They've shredded. We talked about how they printed money during the recession. They've actually shredded $500 billion in currency. It's come off their balance sheet. The balance sheet's still massive, don't get me wrong. They have a long way to go. But when they were printing money, that was causing inflationary pressures. And we can't ignore that this is disinflationary. I think the Fed just needs to give their policy time to work. When you look at this data, it seems more likely than not that a recession is likely to come. We're about 12 months in. You go out to say 30, just picking a number here, at 30, that's still another 18 months away. Uh, and will the Fed have stopped hiking by then? Will they have started to reverse course? If a recession does come, you can bet they'll quickly reverse course. And that and the recession would obviously come with job losses, which would take pressure off of the labor market. The other reason we think that the recession is now a little more likely than not is that we're seeing bank lending standards, credit standards, tight, meaning it's harder to get a loan, whether you're a business, small business, medium-sized business, individual borrower, et cetera. When credit conditions tighten, this line goes up, it's harder to get a loan. If it's harder to get a loan, money is not created. Part of the lending process is money is created in the financial system. Money being created in the financial system creates economic activity, which creates expansion. So when you raise standards, you're creating less money through the lending process, less economic activity, that is disinflationary. So the Fed has forced banks to do this in their own way. And here's where we are today. Credit standards are very tight. This was happening, though, this happened obviously in 2020. And you can see last recession, and then we're higher than we were at the beginning of the uh, 20 year ago, the 2001 recession. So this tells me that you know, the balance sheet runoff, the higher rates, now higher credit, harder to get. All of these say economy clearly slowing, recession getting more and more likely, Fed should pause, Fed should pause. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, the equity market was higher. So you can get this great analysis 
and we're up 15, 16% off of the recent bottoms. And so the question we all ask ourselves is, where do I get paid for owning equities? We always talk about the price earnings ratio, but the earnings to price ratio is really the earnings yield. It's the earnings divided by the price. And the earnings of the S&P 500, purple line here, it's about 5%. Well, that's reasonably expensive. It's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. If you had an earning yield, earnings yield up here at 8% or 7%, that would mean stocks were pretty cheap. But we always take the earnings yield and we compare it to the risk-free yield. The risk-free yield is the yield on the 10-year treasury. It's 3.95. Now, because the curve's inverted, if we wanted to say the risk-free yield is the two-year treasury, then we'd be all the way up here almost at 5%, and there'd be no reason to own stocks for a two-year period, right? You would say, well, why would I own them if I get paid the same amount on a risk-free basis with treasuries? So the people that are saying the market is extremely expensive right now are probably looking at the yield relative to the two-year. I'm looking here, earnings yield relative to the 10-year. Still, not much of a premium, right? From 390 to 510 is only 120 basis point premium. So it makes sense, it makes sense to be cautious here. And that's what we're doing. What we don't do is make big absolute moves. We don't time the market. We think we're pretty smart here, but we also recognize that we're human and we felt the way we feel now back in October and here we are with the market 16% higher. So we make modest moves, modest equity reduction moves have been made across our portfolios, modest increase in quality fixed income and a modest increase in cash. The market keeps going higher against our kind of consensus view, we'll be in and we'll participate. If we're right, the market declines a little bit from here, which is what we think is likely over the rest of this year, then we'll have powder, cash, whatever you want to call it, we're able to put to work. But I always tell everybody this, nervous energy is a great destroyer of wealth. There's been many recessions and there have been many bear markets throughout our lifetimes. And none of us would have been harmed by holding through those because we then subsequently recovered and went to new all-time highs in the markets. But there is this fight or flight ingrained in us. And many of you call and email me thinking, should I do this? Should I sell? Should I go to cash? And the answer is that's very risky. It's, it's extremely risky because uh, the market can do things that I don't expect it to do. It could go much higher. And it just, the way it is, inflation could suddenly drop next month. And we could avoid this recession. Or we could get into a recession quickly. And as such, the bond market gets, catches a bid and interest rates on bonds go way, way down, making stocks look far more attractive because of that earnings yield relative to the risk free yield. So we think the prudent thing to do is to uh, do what we've done. We may do more. But as of right now, that's where we stand with your portfolios at EMA. Uh, nothing major today, uh, although we had the, the S&P Global Manufacturing and Services PMI flash readings for December, and, and services actually um, surprised to the upside. Uh, excuse me, those are today. <laughs> I keep thinking it's Monday, today. 
Uh, we've already got a surprise to the upside in both of those readings and services actually went above 50. Uh, we're going to get existing home sales later today. Fed minutes from the last meeting uh, tomorrow. Uh, weekly claims, 200,000 is the estimate. Fourth quarter GDP, no recession there, looking at 2.9%. Personal income and spending. PCE prices, now hopefully they'll tell a better story than CPI and PPI did last week. New home sales, annualized rate, and consumer sentiment. Don't forget, this is available as a subscription. If you're just listening and you want the slides that go with it, with us, with it, shoot us an email, info at efficientcashportfolios.com. We'll get you the slides. If you're looking at the slides, you can always listen also as a podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.